Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. I've got a special announcement this week that I wanted to share before we dive into talking with the extremely knowledgeable Sue Hamilton-White about writing grant applications. And that is that Sue has agreed to come into the membership and do a masterclass with us on this topic on August the 25th. I could not be more excited because when we were recording this, it was just so clear to me that this was something that I really want to do a deep dive on and I know lots of you will too. So if you find yourself wanting more, then please come on over to psychologists.drosie.co.uk and join the waiting list for the membership. And I'll let you know when the membership opens up for just a couple of days next week. We've also got a very exciting workshop on online audience building coming up this month. So if you've got a big idea and you want support to make it a reality, now is a really great time to join. But without further ado, let's get on with today's show. Today I'm talking to Sue Hamilton-White about securing funding for community projects, a topic that in the wake of COVID-19 I'm sure many of us are thinking about right now. So I'm really pleased to have Sue on the podcast today, as not only is she an incredibly experienced social entrepreneur, artist and fundraiser, but she's also about to qualify as an art therapist and a member of the Do More Than Therapy membership. So hi Sue, it's wonderful to have you on the show today, welcome. Thanks very much for inviting me. It's great to be here. Thanks. So Sue's going to talk to us about how to go about securing grant funding for your social enterprise. And I'm really excited to dig into all of that. But you've also had a really interesting journey, Sue. So I was wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit about the work of your social enterprise, Untapped. Um, Okay. well, we've been working um, in the way we work now for since about 1993. I'm not going to do the maths. Um, and then I registered as a social enterprise in 2010, just after the last uh, recession. Untapped, we're, we're a social enterprise and we, um, we deliver art, psychotherapy and artist residencies to vulnerable community groups. And we've got a quite, our ethos is based in Reggio Emilia pedagogy and also Buddhist values really of creating value through education um, so creativity is at the heart of what we do um, but we're very keen on delivering our work for free and that's why we're a social enterprise okay so what are the kind of vulnerable groups that you work with in untapped okay uh, i'll start from the most recent and then work backwards it's kind of easier for me um, the last project that I funded and delivered uh, was funded by the Arts Council England and it was in a children's hospice. Um, it was a year-long project designed by the people making the work for the project. So in an artist residency, um, in this case it was the children and their families who decided what the art would be and I helped them to make it. That was kind of very key that they they lead and I provide the skills and the materials and the planning and, and the money, obviously. Um, so, so that involved um, two permanent pieces of uh, fused glass sculpture that they'd created, which I'm, I absolutely adore. Uh, 
and also throughout that year I did um, art, art workshops with the children and the families to just sort of get to know them and also involve as many people as possible because that's very important. Um, other projects, I worked for five years in a family centre in a very multi-deprived area in the back of Croydon um, and that was really important uh, work, working with sort of under fives, um, families and, and creating space to make art in a safe place where you could parents who were having a difficult time could go and make get, get messy with their children and learn how to play with their children uh, you know crucial for any childhood playing but oh, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, uh, worked a lot in schools doing various projects um, curriculum related science and art uh, my background's in photography and sculpture um, we've done lots of festivals, we've done, um, I think with artist residencies, the way I work is I kind of choose who I want to work with. Um, so who have I not worked with recently? Who do I want to work with? And I go and talk to them and then, then a project develops. That sounds incredible. And I can see why it's really important to be able to fund that so that you can offer that for free because especially when you're looking at people who are going through a really difficult time like a, a family where the child is in the hospice or yeah. a, a really deprived area you don't want to have to charge for that work and I think one way in which I was really ignorant actually until about a year ago was I just had no idea how those projects were funded and I'm wondering if a lot of the listeners might be mm. coming from that position too um, so I think for a couple of years I've operated as a kind of social enterprise, mm -hmm. but I've always funded that by you know charging insurance companies, etc., a bit more so that I can then right. see some people for a lot less. Mm. Um, but the world of grant funding is actually really new to me, and I think mm -hmm. it probably will be to lots of people listening. Yeah, to and it's really inspiring to hear how you're able to reach those groups. So I'm wondering if we could sort of start from the top and think yeah. about you know if somebody wants to reach a group like the groups that you reach who mm -hmm. won't be able to pay for their services themselves maybe it's a psychologist or a therapist with an idea for a community-based project you know what kind of projects to start with can benefit from grant funding any any group of people that that can't access what you can offer or can't access what what they should be able to to get like for example um, let me try and think of an example say um, you're thinking about a group of uh, young people who during this, this coming summer holiday are already struggling with their mental health and they might need some sort of summer projects that will help them gain a sense of community and, and get them in a situation where they're socialising again and they're getting ready for going back to school, for example. So, so that's, that's a short-term piece of work, not a massive amount of funding involved. If it was an art-based project, which is obviously what I'm experienced in, um, I would go to my local um, council and find out what small pots they have. Um, smaller pots, easier to apply to, quicker turnarounds, boom. Um, impact, there's a need, your, the impact is, is huge 
and and you could possibly you know devise other projects on 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 the back of that and make that a sustainable thing that's quite important that things are sustainable mm, yes yeah that's something that um i really needed to ask you about actually mm. so say you secure you know enough money to keep you going for mm-hmm. a couple of months to deliver mm-hmm. that short-term project yeah how then does that project go forward or is that the really tricky bit well any social enterprise will not be able to survive solely on grant funding you need to have some kind of um trading income um but that's where you can get really creative because now there's so many ways to attract funding to your organization so there's there's different ways to attract funding so you would start i would start with a small pot which would be some sort of local voluntary organization uh, or your council in croydon for example it's called croydon voluntary action we call something different where you are um, and then you can you can look further afield to um, quite large pots like the big lottery and then there's crowdfunding which that is a huge area of excitement and intrigue and stress and <laughs> but also you know I, I've, I've raised quite a lot of money that way for various things including my own college fees um, and also there's pa- things like Patreon which is a very exciting thing I've just started doing um, and there's corporate funding um, which must not be forgotten about because organizations want to show their social responsibility oh, those that's are the, interesting yeah i've never heard of that before well think about i, I don't know if you go to waitrose or, or any other supermarket mm. they've often got um these slot um boxes where you can choose where they're going to put their money this month you can apply to be one of those charities or one of those social enterprises local interest causes they, that, that's what those supermarkets are all about. They're all about showing they're supporting their community groups. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I've never thought of that. I've seen those. They have yeah. them in a lot of the supermarkets, don't they? That could be you. Why not? How exciting. So I guess that leads me on a little bit to something else I was wondering about, which is do you need a specific legal structure to be eligible for these kind of council pots, the bigger funds and the kind of commercial backing i would say yes in my experience you do um we're um we're a company limited by um guarantee and there's lots of different structures and and i last went into this um literally 10 years ago so i would have to you know i think and also it's changed a lot there's there's different legal structures but yes unfortunately yeah, I mean, that's been my experience too. I chose to make um, my business a CIC limited yeah. by guarantee because mm-hmm. that seemed to open up um, these pots more. Yeah. So that, that has been my experience. Um, but I've heard rumours that they're literally going to pull the rug from under all of us and change all of the structures soon. Okay. Um, but none of us know what's happening with that. There's about as much clarity as you'd expect. <laughs> the, the, good, the good thing is, though, um, you can creatively find workarounds. So I often, and I would really recommend this to anyone who's starting out, I often work in partnership with other organisations. So mm-hmm. and so, an example of a workaround is the first time I applied for funding, I, I wasn't a CIC, community interest company or a social enterprise. And um, 
I wanted to do a project here with, in a family centre in that I mentioned before in, in uh, this very deprived area of Croydon, and um, I just approached the family centre and I said, "Well, you know, I'll do the fun, I'll do the application, but we'll apply for it in, under your name," and that's how I did the first one. And then during that year when I was delivering that funding, I I, I formed a, a CIC, and then started applying on my own. Mm. So that's one way around. Um, the other, the, my current project that I'm trying to fundraise is uh, in partnership with Dorset Mind, delivering art psychotherapy to um, secondary schools. Um, but it gives me more kudos, our organisation more kudos, to be working in partnership with a bigger organisation. So that is something you should always, always think about. Together we're stronger. I mean, it's it's true. I completely agree. And actually, I think this is a real mindset issue because often um, psychologists and therapists as a group, we can get really hung up on, I need the right legal structure. I need everything before I can even think about applying or creating this project. When actually, Mm. if you can find a workaround or a partnership, then you can get moving, get feedback, find out what people need, get stronger um, and it can snowball. Yeah. And to me, that seems like a much better way forward. But I must admit, my own mindset really got in the way of that. It's only quite recently that I've been looking for those partnerships and kind of working together yeah. with other organisations. And that's really brilliant advice. I think you, it's, it's easy to undermes, underestimate your value to other people. Um, I've never, no one's ever said to me, no, we don't want an art project. And they've never said no we, we really don't want art psychotherapy in school gosh that's a terrible idea is anyone going to say no to what you're offering is anyone going to say no to you doing the, the legwork in, in finding funding really unlikely yeah why the, would they the, the why key, would they say no no they're not what you've got is, is a hard-earned extremely valuable thing that's going to help humans and at the moment humans are in desperate need of psychological support which is a great time. This is a brilliant time. Yeah, and it, it is in so many ways. I think we were talking before we started recording about how much funding there actually is available at the moment in the mental health space. Yeah. Um, I've been really shocked um, because I was looking for funding a year ago and, you know, I was really struggling Yeah. Um, to find something that I thought would actually provide enough to cover costs Mm -hmm. I mean often when you're talking about therapy interventions ideally you do want them to be six months yes or or longer don't you because that's where you start to get the benefit for people yeah um and I couldn't find anything that would sustain us for six months yeah um but now that that is available it's there yeah um but knowing how to take advantage of it I think is a stumbling block for a lot of us I think knowing where to look for funding, um, I think once you've got a legal structure, once you're a registered CIC, the doors are more open. You can look on lots of different, you can become a member of lots of social enterprise um, funding, uh, what are they called? Organisations that deliver training and all sorts of support, um, like um, know-how non-profit and people like that, and Funding Central and all sorts of places. Right, so know-how non-profit sounds like a good one. Funding Central. Yeah, they're related, but um, there's there's others, and you sh- you shouldn't have to pay to be able to access their their funding uh, lists, and they've got ingenious ways of searching for funding, which is complicated, but it's a complicated 
world out there so you have to okay so it sounds it's complicated (laughs) um but are those the first places you would start looking if you were totally new to this no so if if I was totally new to this and I knew what I know now I would go straight to my local voluntary services um and as I said they'll have different names but it'd be your your voluntary your your count your council's voluntary organization so um you'll have to dig around a little bit for that but you'll find it because they're supposed to be providing they will be providing advice and even business advice for people now more than ever. They should be. Um, they're funded by local government, some of them. Um, and they will help you. They should be able to help you with your legal structure and your even accounts. But what you'll find through them if you become a member is access to small pots of funding. And start with a small pot. Start with £5,000 uh, or even £1,000 just to get a taste of how you fill in the form because it is very daunting and you need to understand the words they want you to write the you need to understand what to how to write it is an art in itself um don't forget that charities will employ fundraisers and that's their only job they're not doing the website they're not in you know training volunteers they're not you know doing all of the stuff that most people are doing when they set up their own social enterprise so small pots find them locally okay and kind of cut your teeth on those cut your teeth on the small simple ones before you get bigger okay that sounds like really good advice and actually i know down here in plymouth we've certainly got that kind of service i forget what it's called actually possibly because they do change their names quite frequently um but there's there's a lot of support down here certainly and i'm sure that's true across yeah. the country and if yeah. you can't find it if you can't figure it out um there's usually a, a local networking group where somebody will know yeah um that's certainly what i found down here because as a military spouse i move a lot yes so it's like i have to learn all of this stuff every 18 okay. months or so for a new area yeah and the way that i actually go about that normally is by going along to some kind of local networking event mm. which i sometimes just find through facebook um, so yeah. the one that I found most useful down here is actually the Mums in Business networking event. Yeah. Go there, you find people that have been in business in your area for years and years and years. Mm. They know mm. all of this stuff. They know all the contacts. Yeah. So if you're really struggling, just find people to ask. Or even your local chamber of commerce. Yes, that's another that's, good one. They will point you in the right direction quickly. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's about finding people in your local area, I guess. Yeah. I'm just Googling Plymouth Voluntary Services and te- just to see um, what it says. Mm. And I'm just curious. And uh, it's volunteering Plymouth. I mean, they volunteer for improving lives. They've got really strange names. You've just got to open your mind a little bit and dig deep and be creative. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is an art. I think it is an art. <laughs> yeah. Got all of the like imposter syndrome and all of that stuff telling you that it's too hard and you can't do it. Yeah. Then sometimes finding those kind of creative avenues to things, that's the hard part. Mm. But it's really great to hear you speaking about it so matter of factly. Because <laughs> um, obviously you've done it so many times. Yeah, I think part time raising my children over the last 10 years, I've probably raised about 180 to 2,000 
pounds, 200,000 pounds, sorry, um, which I don't think is a lot, but, and it just shows me that I, you can't exist solely on, on grant funding. You need to have, you need to be trading as well. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I do think that's really important. And that's what differentiates a social enterprise mm. and a charity, isn't it? That mm. you do have this trading aspect. Um, yeah. I mean, just briefly, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole on that. But is there, do you find that there's a path you normally take to transitioning something from a grant funded project to a trading project? Because I was wondering about because um, I want to provide some therapy and hypnobirthing services to a disadvantaged group in my community. Yeah. I want to do that by grant funding because I know that they can't pay for it. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of hoping that if I demonstrate that that's really effective for people, mm-hmm. that that may be something that gets commissioned through yeah. local authority or NHS funding. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so sort of two things there. Uh, commissioning is is another thing I'll talk about in a second but initially um, a lot of funders will want to know that you've built in some sort of sustainability into your project when you're writing your application Um, so a direct kind of way of trading with that kind of idea would be to off the top of my head and as a parent toddlers 20 years ago I would say so I'm a little bit out of date and I'm not a grandmother yet thank goodness would say um, trying to sell your classes to people that can pay privately as well as delivering them to your um, deprived families would be the way to do that. I like that because I already do that. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, so um, apologies for the term, but yummy mummies, that's, yeah. those are your target. Um, customers uh, for the the trading aspect of your trading arm of that project but you you would have to kind of do a budget for that and that could there is a disadvantage in in some of this in this idea in a way because you could say well that's going to fund your project so why are you but you could say you know 10% of your time would be devoted to this trading aspect or you would continue you would the project would help you develop, um, the funding would help you develop a project that you could then sell after the project's ended. So you have to think about it in terms of funders definitely do not want to give you a chunk of money and then it's over. And the people that you were, whose need you were meeting, suddenly they, they've reached a drop off. That That's really not, not there. They really are thinking about sustainability and often you'll get turned down for funding if you haven't built that into your plan long term so commissioning from your local council there are um there are websites you can sign up to to hear about the local the the latest thing that they they're trying to commission so uh, i sign up to an organization who will send me emails every single day actually all the uh all of um counties in in england that that might be interested in commissioning a big chunk of art psychotherapy work at the moment it's it's not huge (laughs) and i so I, I kind of I need to you can be very targeted in your search but this is an area that takes a huge that is another level of, of knowledge and skill in terms of applying for and you will find that your council will should be delivering training on how to apply for their their commissions 
um, and uh, you know how to bid for a commission. Those are the term. That's the terminology. That's a, it's an art in itself. I've not got to that point. That's my next big challenge. Um, but for clinical psychologists, that is a really key area to get into because you'll be mega sustainable uh, okay. and delivering, you know, something to a budget, which is another aspect of value for money and, and not wanting to undercut yourself. But you'll be you'll be big and you'll be out there. And it's that's, terrifying. Um, it's absolutely <laughs> petrifying. Yeah, it is yeah even thinking about it I've got the anxiety but yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah I think it's really interesting to think about these ways that the projects can become sustainable yeah I think you know if you hadn't said about that that might have been something I could have missed off my application yeah um so I think it's really valuable and you've obviously probably learned these lessons the hard way I should imagine over the years yeah I guess so but I mean and and one other thing I would say I mean in terms of how many applications I've applied for and how many I've received I would say I've probably been successful in about 90% of the ones I've applied for wow and I because I've had I've been very lucky to have a hell of a lot of training on how to fill in application forms in the time of recession before so please look out for please contact your local voluntary services whatever they're called um and and make sure if there's funding i'm sorry if there's training there you you access it jump on it because it's key they 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 want you to have this money but if you don't know how to get it if you don't know how to fill that form in correctly um using the right words you know ticking the boxes you know that it's, it's, it's going to be very frustrating and extremely time-consuming process. One tip I would say to being successful is once you've gone through the pain of writing one uh, funding application for one project, um, and like if like me, your, your brain can only cope with one project at a time, which I can only cope with one project at a time, I'll fill in one application, and I've already got in my mind two more funders that could fund this project so I'm going to go straight to the next one and apply straight I'm going to apply for three at once that's that's the you know covering all your bases and and it's it's a bit of a scattergun approach but it works okay that sounds like really good advice so I didn't know you could do that so you could apply funding for the same project from three different places yeah yeah I mean if you're lucky you'll get you'll get you'll get I've never had this, but if you've got two funding you, then you've got you can possibly you know double up what you're delivering if you or or employ another person to work alongside you, or you never know. Yeah, that that sounds brilliant actually. Um, because think, thinking about you know what I'm applying for at the moment, my head keeps going there. Yeah. Um, yeah, if I had double the money, I could just do I could deliver double the number of classes because I've got an amazing network actually of other hypnobirthing teachers um and you know obviously through the do more than therapy membership I've got a great network of other therapists as well that I could outsource that work to um so it could just go bigger if you got more money so I guess there's no downside to applying to lots of different places um I just never thought of that really that's really helpful thank you so and this might be a really difficult question to answer but what would you see as the key ingredients for a successful application? Oh, this is a really important question. The, uh, the most important thing you need to do is identify a need. If there's no need, you're not going to get this money. So 
you identify the need, then you have to prove that there's a need. And by, to prove a need, you might have to go and interview people. You might have to get, you know, words on paper, a video, a some sort of evidence that proves there is a need. It could be you're partnering with a charity and the charity has statistics to say there's a need. You might um, be able to prove that, I don't know, mental health of new mothers is, is declining due to COVID. You've got to get all that. You have to have those statistics and ideally kind of word of, you know, actual questionnaires are brilliant. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that like it's probably very hard to do that at the moment, get things like that back. But the proven need um, and, and to, to the way to kind of um, increase your chances of get, getting funding is, is go to places where the need is the most. So that is multi-deprived areas. That is, you know, if you live in a nice leafy suburb in Surrey, you're, you're not going to be finding a need on your doorstep. You've got to go to this council estate. You've got to go, you've got to find out where are the gaps that, what, what can the NHS not provide at the moment? That is key information. That is so important. And you also can find out a lot of information from your um, council's local area plan. Um, so, for example, I've been looking at um, the suicide prevention plan for Bournemouth a lot recently. So my project that I'm trying to find that the, the need is to reduce uh, suicide in young people. So that's boom. I'm going for the jugular. I'm not taking, you know, don't take prisoners. You, you know, is what is postnatal depression about? What is how can people have better births? What is the outcomes for people? You know, you need to do your research and prove and, you know, find out your local, local information on, on your particular area of need. And I guess that helps if you're already working in that area. So I know there'll be a lot of people listening yeah. to this who they work in the NHS service. So they know that the <laughs> NHS can't deliver yeah. because they know what they're frustrated about not being able to deliver day to day. And even Absolutely. if you're not, even if you're in private practice, I know who I see that I shouldn't be seeing. Yeah. I see a lot of people who, you know, they should never have needed my service. They should be getting their care through the NHS and everyone agrees. Yeah. And often I even have a letter from the GP saying, you know, we don't want this person to have to go private, but we can't get therapy yeah. for them. Yeah. And that is so powerful. That's your information about your needs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sometimes we might be in quite advantageous positions um, to write those um, need aspects of the form. Yeah. And you have your contacts, you know the local CCG people, you know all the people who are going to be writing reports. Um, and, and you also make, make use of your contacts. I always do that. Like, I know the manager of Dorset Mines. She's a friend of mine. Mm. I know the head teacher in the local school. I do projects with them. I know uh, the local drug and alcohol uh, charity. I'll do a photography project with them. You know, it really helps if people know you and they trust you. Yeah, because that's a huge aspect of it. You're being trusted with money to deliver something. And I think a lot of the time we get in our own way by being afraid to talk with people we do know about what we do. And, you know, so many times, and I've been guilty of this as well, somebody will be trying to get a project off the ground 
And they've actually got a friend or family member that could really help facilitate that, (laughs) but they won't even consider talking to them. They'd rather reach out to people they've never, ever met before. Yeah. Don't know them from Adam or Eve. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, your example of your, um, is it your sister-in-law? Who <laughs> My is, uh, cousin. Works for, your cousin, sorry, she works for a magazine. Yeah, that was really mm. nice article. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and I think also, even when you're working with people you know, or even if they're like in the next office and you don't see them at all, which is actually ideal, um, having a contract is extremely important. You know, what do they expect of you? What do you expect of them? Write it down. I get a solicitor involved to write it up. That is that is key. Uh, mm. Many a project can go awry when people don't understand what they're expecting of each other. Yeah, that seems that's, really important. Yeah, that's, that's a subject of a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, so, is there anything else that you think really needs to be in there for it to be a good application? Um, you need to understand the terminology. You need to understand. Um, what need actually means you need to use positive words as well you need to use words like increase uh you know um gosh i could uh, a whole uh, dictionary of words or glossary would be great um yeah you're trying to you're you have to use very proactive language that says exactly what you're going to tackle uh, and you have to talk really positively about the impact you're going to make you're going to reduce you know, um, depression in, in, in new mothers by 10% or 20% or even more, hopefully, um, you're going to, you know, you know, numbers, impacts, proactive language. Um, there is a lot of free training on, available in learning how to fundraise on right applications, um, which is more available for people that have already got a social enterprise, unfortunately. I haven't really looked into this for individuals because that's not where I work, but um it's that's why it's good to kind of have a setup or work in partnership with someone who can access that training like know how non-profit um i think they've got free membership at the moment they certainly have free membership for people who have a low low turnover or low number of people working for them and they provide a lot of training it's a good place to start that's really good to know and i i've um booked onto a a workshop with the School of Social Entrepreneurs. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I think I paid for it, but I think it was about fifteen yeah. quid. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't break the bank. Yeah, so there is a lot of support out there, and there will be more. I'm sure there will be more now. We're in the session, essentially. Yeah. Well, they will if they want the best people to get the money. It's in their interest yeah. to provide training, yeah. isn't it? And I, I mm. think. Um, definitely down here in Plymouth quite often I'll get an email about some free training Mm, it's along mm. these lines so I'm pretty sure it's out there Mm -hmm. but if you've never done it before it can be quite hard to locate yeah yeah it's really helpful you've mentioned a few places there that we can look quite often the actual funder will provide training on how to apply for their fund surprisingly like the big lottery have done that in the past Uh, and other funds other funds as well They've got a video, um, the big loss. Yeah. I was looking at yeah. their, their um, applications that they've got open at the moment, and they've got quite a helpful video, um, which is all about why you should survey people and talk mm. to people because yeah. your application's not going to get through mm. if you don't have mm. that evidence. But we've had quite a lot of funding from them, and they've really improved the way they support um, fundraisers, grant finders. Yeah, really good. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, on the flip side of that, I suppose. 
what are the most common mistakes that people make <laughs> in their applications? Um, um, as I've mentioned, not really building in sustainability is, is quite an aspect, but, but not um, just answering the questions as they're asked. You can, instead of writing paragraphs in answer to the questions, just write bullet points, which I think is actually, that's the way I do it now. I, I used to write, you know, lovely long paragraphs, but actually now I just do bullet, bullet points. You, you keep to the word count, that's, that's, that's like very obvious, but just be very specific when you're answering the questions. Don't put stuff in there they're not asking for. Um, make sure you've got evidence of your need. That is the most important thing ever, really, really, really key. Um, don't, don't get disheartened if you get rejected. Just keep going and, and definitely apply for three at once. If you've got the time, time and the energy and the children will leave you alone long enough, please do that. Please do that. Um, reasons for rejection. You know, it's, I'm quite pleased that it's hard for me to think of some. That's uh, brilliant, yeah. But I remember, which is, uh, this is an encouraging note. Um, I remember once applying to the big lottery for um, money to deliver a photography project to some people in recovery from drug and al- drug and, drugs and alcohol. And um, they got a rejection letter back and I was like oh no I was really geared up for this obviously you're always you're very committed to your project you know everything you put into this project is like your life and soul um and and the um the woman in the admin office of this charity said oh but look at this letter they said you if you tweak this bit you can apply again so I tweaked it and we got the money like within a week we we had you know eight grand in the bank and I was like oh right this project's happening that's amazing so so don't give up and, and you know yeah always just ask for help ask for help and just if you know your your um your group or your target group really well you know, I think it's good to stick with what you know really mm. um it's just yeah you'll be traveling further and, and it's harder for you to work with write an application for something you don't know so much about that's don't don't do that to yourself (laughs) that's good advice I think because often we can think of some really amazing stuff to do yeah not grounded in the work that you're already doing I imagine it it'd be very difficult that might be a time to seek out partnership actually with somebody who absolutely yeah yeah and don't be afraid to ask that organization for their statistics you know how many people blah 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 and why do you need this money and you know they'll tell you they they, they know that stuff inside and out mm. you know and they you know you're working in partnership that that literally means together on one thing and mutual benefit just keep asking questions you've yeah, got what you've cool. got what they haven't got don't forget you've you've got all these amazing skills and they you know and and lives are short especially you know small people and, and mothers that's a very very magical special time and if you can you know reduce um stress in that period of time that's that's something you know that's gold dust really yeah and i think for that project specifically because of covid they're struggling to deliver what they would normally deliver yeah um so being able to provide as a private provider I can provide a lot more online stuff than the NHS can put together quickly it's a revelation really you know so yeah I think it's recognizing that isn't it it's the gaps that they might be struggling to fill 
yeah. and listening to the feedback about yeah. that, I imagine. Yeah, and I think it might be better to, if you want to do something quickly, uh, find small pots to apply for, apply for several, and so that you can, you know, you have to work out how much it's going to cost you to deliver the project over six months or whatever, but maybe longer. It's just, um, yeah, the small grants have a quicker turnaround time. Mm. So you'll be able to get in there quicker uh, rather than someone waiting on an NHS waiting list for, well, I don't want to say, but it could be a long time. Yeah, certainly can be. That child will be in school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, potentially. That's no, not good. It's been known to happen, yeah, and it's not great. So with that aspect of the application, I've only applied for one small pot before, so I'm very new in this journey. But even to do that, they asked for a cash flow forecast. Yeah. And I don't have those skills particularly. I can mm-hmm. do a really rudimentary one for my business as it is, but I didn't know how to project. So I okay. got my amazing accountant, Mahmood, um, who some of you will have met if, you're, um, if you've done the numbers workshop in the membership. Mm. Um, he's just incredible and he pulled that together for me mm. and I, I got feedback that it was incredibly impressive and they were very pleased with it. Um, so I guess I pulled in support for that bit that I felt a bit unskilled in. Yeah. Um, is there is is it typical to to need a bit of help with an application? Um, I've never used an accountant. I've never had to because um, I I always do my own accounts. If I don't know how to do something, I will I will learn via YouTube or I will um, ask my son who's quite good at those things um he's doing a business degree um oh brilliant but but yeah yeah in the early days I I never used and I never have used an accountant so it's not essential and um but also your local voluntary services organization they may have a social enterprise that is the accountancy firm and when I've had to ask advice they've been the people that I've asked so you that's quite good to know um yeah that's brilliant but it's unlike I've never had to I've never had to put in a cash flow forecast for any funding application oh wow just just so you know you know yeah, no, I think this one um was a bit different because it involves if if I get it I don't actually know yet yeah if I did get it there would be some ongoing business support as well oh okay so I think oh, that I, might be I think the school of social ent- entrepreneurs yeah they're, they're doing something different yeah that's a different thing but so yeah very um very in-depth application process for that. that that's that's a that was a big one to cut your teeth on I think but, <laughs> yeah. but, but they do provide business support so yeah so maybe the right time for you to do it but yeah that's a, that's a biggie <laughs> yes absolutely um okay so given all of that and given how much work goes into these things <laughs> what would be a typical time scale from having the idea and finding a funder that fits to put, pull together a good application okay um it depends on how much you're applying for so i'll go through maybe two different levels of funding a uh, small pot i would say five thousand pounds um that isn't going to take you too long to put together if you know what you're doing and if you know your if you have your evidence of need it's going to be quicker that's the thing that takes a little bit of time and don't let your mindset put you off. Go and ask the questions. Do you remember people need you? People need you. Um, 
people need you. Okay, that's so important. Please remember that. So, so don't go in there. You've got all your stuff. Go in, ask the questions, or phone people up and do the Zoom meeting and ask the questions. That's how we're doing things, obviously. Um, so those applications, so typically will turn around in, I don't know, three or four weeks, depending on the funder. I'm, I'm, this is a very uh, ballpark number of weeks. That's quite quick. Um, yeah. So in total, you could be thinking from finding the, the funder, connecting with the organization you're going to be working with or using their rooms. For example, you might be using a library. I'm, I'm thinking back to, to when we went into buildings and <laughs> met people. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, you know, um, once you've got the, the, the funder, you found the funder and you found the people you're going to be doing the work with or the building you're doing the work in, get on with the application. You could have that money within three months. Um, bigger pots of money, £10,000, £15,000. We're looking at about six months. It's that simple, I roughly, but you do, as I say, you know, put one application in. You've done all the work. You've got all the information there. Just cut and paste, copy and paste, and rejig it to the next funder's guidelines. Um, and, and bang out another application, bang out another application. Each funder has different criteria. That is very important. If you don't match, if your project doesn't match their criteria, there's no way they're going to fund you. And you will have to, you will have to tweak your your project to suit what their criteria is, which is painful, but you you have to be adaptable. Yeah, that sounds like really important advice, actually, because there was a project that I was considering getting funding for um, quite a while ago and I actually decided not to because yeah. the tweaks I would have to make to it to get enough to go forward, they, they weren't ethical to me. Um, yeah. It didn't fit with what I knew yeah. would be effective. Yeah. Um, so that's always a bit of a fine line, isn't it? But mm -hmm. I think when we're doing something that is grounded in um, therapy or psychology, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, then often we do we, we're going to have to compromise a little bit mm. um to meet criteria yeah. and there's a little bit of uncomfortableness we probably need to mm. accept in order to to get the work done to get it out there yeah but you should, uh, by the same token you should always be strong to your values you know like you said maybe that isn't the pot for you it's you know mm. and I think it's very difficult I don't know about with clinical psychology but if describing what you do being really clear about what you do is so important because people you know people with an art psychotherapist people oh you're a psychotherapist you're an artist what are you if you're really clear and it's about doing education work with people um sometimes um yeah it's different for us like I'm not going to compare it because we're different we're similar but we're different well actually I was gonna um because I've taken up loads of your time already but I really wanted to ask you a bit more about yeah. your art therapy work and okay yeah what inspires you really in your uh, creative and therapeutic okay. work hey it's about values so um I have I, I when I started working using art and in a in a family center when I was uh, volunteering in a, in the first recession in 93 <laughs> and I left the university and I couldn't find a job I started volunteering in the family center working with children who a lot of them have been um, abused 
and I my boss was a child psychologist who taught me a hell of a lot and I was like okay right I get this I get this I get how art helps people I get how art and I kind of you know long kind of period of time working with vulnerable people mainly with um, learning disabilities um, over my career um, and working as an artist as well I art psychotherapy brings both of those things together um, art heals in many many ways um, it's it's fundamental being creative it's fundamental um, to healing and you know Winnicott would say you know if you playing is, is fundamental to psychotherapy it's all mixed together um, and there's also the, the really important aspect of people who um, most people who've been through the school system in this country at least I can only speak in this country will say oh I can't draw I'm not an artist oh I've heard you know I I've heard that millions of times and um, you know it's interesting to me because my daughter is a very talented illustrator and she can do this in her sleep and for me to be able to draw it will take me three or four drawings of I'll get there I, I, I can draw but I have to practice I have to work at it um, but I'm, I'm an artist I work in uh, lots of different ways I work in glass sculpture photography ideas um, so I, I really, really, truly believe that everybody is an artist. We, it is about mindset. It's about putting barriers in front of our own self. Um, mm -hmm. And with art psychotherapy, there's no need for artistic skill at all. There's just the, um, the willingness to be able to put your unconscious on paper, essentially. And obviously, you're not going to be telling your client that, I just put your unconscious on paper it's, it's not about that but you know that's what we're working with we're working with the unconscious and it's not about you know whether something is aesthetically pleasing or not um but the healing power of art is you know um, it's not a hippy dippy idea it's uh this is fund founded in you know um psychodynamics void all those big hitters Sounds absolutely fascinating. I mean, I feel it is an area that I'm quite ignorant in, really. I've done a bit of drama therapy in my time. Okay. Um, which I love and would love to do more. Yeah. Of. But I've, you know, I've always been one of those people that is like, I can't draw. Anyone who's worked with me in therapy actually will know that um, if I ever try and draw anything out like a diagram, I just can't stop. It's like verbal diarrhea. I can't stop apologising for how terrible my drawing is. So it's very interesting that you said that there's a lot of um, work to be done, I think, on our mindset around creativity and drawing. Just, yeah, just remember how you make creative decisions every single part of your life. You, you know, a creative decision is what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, you know, and, and that's a playful way of thinking. You have to, oh, what am I dreaming about? What do I want? You know, it, they're all creative decisions. So a pencil and a piece of paper is, it's kind of at the tiny end of that, that whole creative idea. It's, it's letting yourself have the freedom. And I imagine that, well, it sounds like what you're saying is that healing is possible if we can unblock that a little bit. It's, it's, it's so linked to play and the importance of play in, in psychotherapy. So I can actually, I can see how that thread would run through from yeah. artistic work to therapy work to yeah. um, bigger projects. Yeah. Um, 
And I think it's amazing, actually, to hear about how in your career you've taken those values and done such things that on paper look really different, but they're actually all really deeply connected yeah. to those values. Selfish questions. I always ask at the end of the podcast, there are always some selfish questions. <laughs> um, and one of those is what two action steps that you would want psychologists and therapists listening to this to go away and do now? So what are those? Okay. Um if you haven't already, write down your values. Big important thing. And um, if that's difficult, write down a list of all your skills and, and really, really work on what you can offer. And then maybe you write your values. Um, and the second one would be, okay, you've got your values. Who in your community needs your skills and your values? Write a list. And don't be scared because but if you think those people need you, they, they damn sure do. Mm. And there'll be funding to match your skills and those people in need. So it's almost about not being afraid. Yeah, don't be afraid. Please, please, please. If if I knew about hypnobirthing 21 years ago, oh my goodness. Yeah, please. I, I You guys are extremely valuable. Um, and I'm talking mainly about the ones of you, people of you who, have, who are um, to do with uh you know neonatal care and postnatal care and yeah you didn't exist 20 years ago and that is incredible so important get out there <laughs> okay i will <laughs> and uh, and i hope that a lot of people listening to this actually will feel empowered to do that um because i know certainly 12 months ago i just didn't know that this was an opportunity that was available to us and I think if you've been working in the NHS for a long time, yeah. you've been working in the public sector, often you come out and you think, okay, now I'm in private practice. It all has to be people paying for my services directly and that can feel uncomfortable. And actually, there's so many other ways to, to get your important work out there and to reach people that can't hand you over the money straight away. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's just really inspiring. Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, it's my pleasure oh, absolute pleasure and I just think use use the um the opportunities available at the moment you know working online is is a massively new opportunity for us maybe mm. not so much for you guys but it, be creative with that there's more opportunities now absolutely absolutely so final selfish question who would you if you could pick anybody who would you like <sighs> to be interviewed on this podcast in the future um it's difficult for me to answer that because if if I was going to be totally selfish I would say one of my heroines that I I've been reading about a lot recently doing my um my art psychotherapy masters um so that's that's I'm trying to make this more relevant to you guys I think I I think a an interview with someone who who's who's used your services and can reflect on how important it was to them I think would be really useful. Um, someone who could sort of speak frankly about the, the benefits they receive from working with a clinical psychologist. I think that's um, a great idea, actually. Or, or, yeah, just somebody who's benefited from any kind of psychology or therapy because yeah. our mindset, when it gets in our way, it's almost like we erase all those positive things that people have said to us over the years. Mm. And so many people that I talked to at the beginning of their business journey, they're really hung up on this idea that 
they're a bad person for needing to be paid. Um, I mean, just in the membership already. That, that's uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we haven't even talked about how much you pay yourself when you're applying for funding, but it's the same. It's mm. the same amount as you pay, get paid. It's the same. And um, yeah, the mindset around what you what your what your worth is. Yeah, subject of a whole other podcast. <laughs> but but, <laughs> you but please, you know, you're extremely valuable. And I don't think we can remind ourselves too much of the good work that we have done because I know my brain forgets about it I, I collect feedback at the end of every intervention I do whatever that is and then I re- remember the negative mm. stuff and what to improve and I write that down yeah. and I make sure I work on it but the positive yeah. stuff you might smile for a minute and then you forget your mind hides it again yeah and so I actually think that's a really great piece of advice like maybe even while you're writing your application <laughs> have like a little bank of positive feedback I've, I've started collecting it I've started writing it down or, or, or photographing it and putting it in a book it's a great stuff idea. like please do that because it's a, such a, a, a shame that you know I think as women we, we're belittling our, our, um, our skills which are massive we need to see ourselves as wise women yes yes that sounds yeah. Yeah, it'd be wonderful to wake up in the morning and go, ah, I am wise. <laughs> let's, aim, let's all aim for that. Let's aim for that. Please, that's what I aim for. So thank you so much, Sue. You've just given us so much value today. And I'm really happy to let people know that um, Sue is going to be offering a masterclass inside the Doom One Therapy membership where we can go deeper on some of these subjects. And I'm sure there are lots of people listening to this with their notepads out, making notes about things they want to follow up on. Um, So you will get the opportunity to ask questions and the membership is one way that you can access Sue's expertise through that masterclass. Um, And the membership's reopening in August. So if that interests you, I'll put the link to the waiting list in the show notes. But if people want some extra support and they want to find you, Sue, how can they find you and how can they work with you? Um, well, our organisation is called Untapped, U-N-T-A-P-P-E-D. Um, we're on, uh, we've got a website, untapped.org.uk. And you can find us on Facebook, untapped.org.uk, Twitter, uh, at Untapped4, Instagram, Untapped4. Yeah. Brilliant. So there's lots of ways to connect with you. Um, I'll put all the links in the show notes and I'm going to put a link to your Patreon page in there as well. Thank you. um, Because that sounds brilliant. So Patreon is where people can give you money for your content, I believe. That's right. It's a new new thing for us. um, But yes, it's a kind of membership based idea. Brilliant. Sounds really exciting. So thank you so much, Sue. And I'll see you in the membership soon. Lovely. Thanks a lot, Rosie. Take care. I just wanted to remind you not to forget that the membership doors are opening for just two days next week. So if you want to get in on an audience building masterclass with expert Janet Murray, a deep dive on writing grant applications with the amazing Sue Hamilton White, and of course, the incredibly valuable peer supervision sessions, plus our content library, then head over to psychologists.drosie.co.uk and get your name on the waiting list. Planning on launching something new? Hoping to reach more people and build a business that lets you live your values while avoiding burnout? 
then you need to download my cheat sheet, 14 Steps to a Simple Launch. It's a foolproof process to make sure you develop your project with the people you want to help and then get it in front of as many of them as possible. It's totally free and you can find it at psychologist.drosie.co.uk. I'll put the link in the show notes.